Hello, Hello, and welcome to Are You Karate Kidding Me? Your source for recaps, reviews, and items of interest from all around the Miyagi-verse. I'm your host, Colin Canaday. I'm your host, Jenny Carlson. And guess what? It's another week, another episode of Cobra Kai. We're here for the recap and review business. And analysis. And analysis. Do we have any items of interest from around the Miyagi-verse? But I was going to say, do we have any items of interest from all around the Miyagi-verse? Cobra Kai's certainly still great. Like, it's sitting, I think it was, when I glanced at the playback, it's sitting at, like, number six in Netflix US. It stayed at number one for 12 days, at least in the United States. Oh, yeah. Also hit global number one. Oh, yeah. It put up big numbers. Millions and millions. Yeah. If metrics are important to you, well, one, I'm not going to quote them. You can go look them up, but they're good metrics. They're good metrics. A lot of people love this show. Yeah. And, And rightly so. And I think the point is that we stayed up all night binging season four. We did. I can't remember the last time I stayed up all night for anything (laughs) nope nope so if some of the other podcasts from the cobra kai community are to be believed they also stayed up all night no doubt so i think that speaks highly to the quality of this season that so many people were engaged enough to stay up all night to watch this thing speaking of items of interest we've already said i think that the new soundtrack is out on la la land records Mm. is there any other news it's great to see that the cast continues to get so much press especially the young cast Mm -hmm. um awesome features of them and teen vogue and entertainment weekly and just all over the place so really gratifying i feel a little bit like i've watched these kids grow up yeah. Over four seasons. For and sure. can't wait to see what they get up to next. Absolutely. To set the scene here, we are drinking some specialty cocktails that I have curated for this evening. Oh, that's true. The items of interest really this week are items that we created ourselves. <laughs> so what we're doing, uh, you're inventing Cobra Kai and Karate Kid themed cocktails, yes? I am. I'm going to do it as long as I can. Either I fall over or... All right, keep going. If we have too many of these cocktails, falling over is inevitable, but... But then we'll really know what it's like to be Johnny Lawrence. Or John Kreese in certain circumstances. Oh, burn. Ooh. Snap. <laughs> well, he likes a cutty in water, right? He's a he pretty likes basic a cutty in guy. Water. I mean, that's the thing. It's like some people already have their signature drinks. Daniel goes the James Bond route with the vodka martini, ice, yep. ice cold. Yep. Is his variation. He doesn't do shake and not stir. Daniel does ice, ice cold. Does he do vodka martini? I mean, that's the standard. I well, believe yeah. he just says. But not mar- a dirty one. And also, it depends on whether you're going classic James Bond. In the Daniel Craig movies, they kind of changed it up and they made it a Vesper, which well, is. But the Vesper is from an original Ian Fleming book. Well, that's what I'm saying. Up until the Daniel Craig movies, all we knew is that James Bond walked in and ordered a vodka martini shake and not stirred. And then Casino Royale refined it to be a Vesper, which is a cocktail that was made out of the book yep. that now is, is canon or whatever. Which remains my favorite martini. Right. At that's any a good rate, one. though, because we're not a James Bond podcast, we're not here tonight to drink... The Vesper Martini. I have made up a drink that is themed on uh, this week's episode. This is the Miyagi Fang, which some of you may recognize as a variation on a beer Negroni. And this consists of equal parts gin, sweet vermouth, and Campari, as well as a bottle of Coors Banquet. And with a little bit of orange peel. Mm-hmm. Um, or if you're an international listener, just a nice golden ale of your choice. Yeah, but in order for it to be a Miyagi Fang, you have to at least perform a transubstantiation ritual mm. to make it a Coors Banquet incarnate. Yes. Basically, a lager will yeah. get you there. A lager will do. This is a synthesis of the Daniel LaRusso Martini and Johnny's drink of choice, the Coors Banquet, with a little bit of Campari thrown in to evoke... I don't know. Well, I mean, the Campari actually is a more practical application because <laughs> the Campari definitely dominates. It's going to take over the flavor of whatever you put it in. So it's going to cut like the alkaline taste of the Coors. It's going to kind of complement the orange that's in there. It serves an important function for sure. We will post information about the cocktail, but I guess we should also add, in addition to our Negroni, our, our banquet Negroni, we also had... Uh, snacks featuring wedges of honey crisp apple mm. and clara milk truffle gouda 
Yeah, that truffle gouda was strong stuff. It was strong stuff. And I'll say a little bit more about it in the course of the episode, but it is a delicious cheese and I strongly recommend it. Pairs well with prosciutto, says the internet, but I found it was quite tasty with the apple. Which goes to show you that you need a little conflict in your palate in order to have a truly satisfying meal. Wow, that's <laughs> what an absolutely Cobra Kai-like lesson that Indeed. you have to introduce conflict in order to, to have a good meal. I think we can make this a regular fixture on our podcast, our Cobra Kai-inspired cocktails and recipes and maybe the occasional review of whatever food that they happen to be eating on the show. Stay tuned next week for my review of processed ham straight out of the package. Well, you don't really have to review the ham, you just have to review the water that drips out of it. Sure. Maybe that's a cocktail. Ham water cocktail. Who out there is unafraid? Get back to us and let us know. Look for the recipe on our Instagram and we will touch base with you there. Yes. Follow us on Twitter for all this information as well. But with that, I think we should probably just go ahead and dive right into this week's episode, shouldn't we? Let's do it. All right. So without further ado, let's dive in with Cobra Kai Season 4. Episode 2, First Learn Stand. First Learn Stand. This episode is written by Joe Pirulli and Luan Thomas and directed by John Hurwitz and Hayden Schlossberg. We begin with an awesome game called Dungeon Lord. Well, an okay game. What? I mean, it's... It, it's all I mean, about the music, man. If Minecraft had this music, I would still be playing it. It certainly ha- gives off Minecraft vibes. It also gives off a bit of Fortnite vibes, but it doesn't look like there's any combat in it. So I'm a little skeptical as to the lasting play value. Says the man who played Minecraft for years on end. I mean, here's the deal. The music is everything. It's a little bit like Minecraft, but it's very cute. It's also got a little bit of a Zelda vibe to it. It does have Breath of the Wild vibes as well. But the thing that makes it is the music. And Leo Bierenberg did tweet that he's playing the penny whistle in this theme music that they wrote for it. So this is not ah. a real game. But, you know, maybe if Cobra Kai goes you know, beyond global, we will get an actual Dungeon Lord game. It's not a real game yet, but you know what? This is Sony Pictures Television, and Sony also makes popular things in the video game space. So maybe at some point up the cross-promotional chain will eventually get the Dungeon Lord Legacies video game. We see that this game is being played by Kenny the Jet 99. Kenny the Jet. So he's an Elton John fan is what you're saying. I mean, it seems like a weird reference for this kid. You bring up a great point. Let's talk about this Kenny kid. So uh, this this guy comes out of nowhere right he does and, and, and he starts with great energy as he's playing this game and smiling at it. very cheerful kid his alarm goes off uh, and he's running around his his room getting dressed brushing his teeth playing the game doing all the things at once getting ready for school looks like and uh, he's doing it all by himself he's combing his hair he's got such good energy he's basically skipping around he's trying to get hype because it's his first day of school he's wearing his dungeon lord t-shirt for his first day of school and then he finds a plate of rice crispy treats with a note telling him good luck on his first day and don't miss the bus with love from his mom uh, i will second you on that kenny is putting out good vibes and uh, a lot of uh, positive energy in this opening like he's just sitting at the bus stop eating his Rice Krispie treats and grooving he's dancing on his to, headphones. He's dancing to Gary Clark's Can't Sleep, Gotta Get Into Something. And he's got a lot of speed, right? That's part of his, his deal is that he's a really fast, mm-hmm. energetic mover. So, But the bus comes up behind him and all the other kids are hanging out of the window laughing because he couldn't hear the bus approach. He was just full-on dancing as they came up. And so now they're making fun of him. So, yeah, short story about Kenny. He's bright-eyed and hopeful. He's got the moves. He's instantly likable. But because he lives in the Miyagi-verse, that puts an instant target on his back. Yeah. As, as the bu- when he gets on the bus, he sees that a little a cadre of tiny jerks continue to laugh at him. And they're led by a curly-cared kid who seems kind of like a junior varsity version of Scott Farkas, the bully from A Christmas Story. Oh, hell yeah. Scott Farkas. What a rotten name. He's staring out at us with his yellow eyes. He had yellow eyes. So help me, God, yellow eyes. Right? Yeah. And one of the other bullies is none other than... Anthony LaRusso back for a second big episode this season. Wow. Yeah. Two Anthony episodes back to back. I know. I mean, 
at this rate, he's going to bypass all of his previous season records. Yeah. As far as time on screen and episodes in. Unreal. Uh, so, yeah, we're going to have to update the stats on the back of his trading card if he had one. Indeed. Um, Believe he, it. Yeah. He's ex- here. Yeah. Maybe he's here to stay. Anthony's back and he's here to stay. But enough of the, about that. We get our title card and then cut to miyagi where we see another familiar LaRusso. It's none other than Daniel. He's got the Japanese Sanders. He's got a spring in his step as he walks down the decks toward the new sparring deck, whistling the Hare Krishna music that he sang for Mr. Miyagi when Mr. Miyagi introduced him to the Japanese Sanders. It was a good gag 30 years ago, and apparently Daniel still feels it's a good gag today. My God. As he comes up, he sees Johnny sanding the deck with a professional industrial-sized sander, and uh, Johnny is satisfied with himself. Whoa, whoa, whoa! What are you doing? Smooth as a Smurf's ass, right? But for Daniel, this has ruined his whole week of training. Daniel loves nothing more than turning chores into lessons, which Johnny also lampshades in this conversation. Daniel thinks that Johnny can't possibly understand what he had in store, and Johnny's like, my training consists of, like, throwing them in a cement mixer... What else did he say? Uh, kicking a hornet's nest. Yeah, kicking a hornet's nest, literally or figuratively. At any rate, they get admired in a conversation as to whether they're going to respect each other's training. And Johnny can tell that Daniel doesn't respect his style. Johnny is like, some kids need a little aggression. Which is basically the thesis statement of Cobra Kai at this point. Yeah. No, but, you know, Daniel's like, you don't respect me. And Johnny's like, respect's a two-way street. And Daniel said, you got to understand, I was trained that we use karate for defense only. And you're training aggression, as Johnny says, some kids need a little aggression. So Daniel comes comes up with the brilliant plan that he's going to teach Miyagi-Do, and Johnny should teach him Eagle Fang. Oh boy, it sounds like a real odd couple take it on the run situation. I can't wait to learn more about this. Johnny's so into it that he spits his hand, spits in his hand to shake hands with Daniel, but Daniel says that's not necessary. Speaking of misplaced intent, we're going to have to put a pin in that for a moment because we got to cut across town to a restaurant. I cannot remember what Tori's restaurant's name is, so I've just put it in my notes, Ponzu Hut. Ponzu Hut works for me. Yeah, it won't matter for long, though, because (laughs) as we're about to see, uh, Tori goes to wait on a table, and it's none other than the third of our LaRusso clan, Amanda LaRusso, sitting at the table here to deliver a passive-aggressive ultimatum to Tori. Yeah, this is Amanda at her most terrifying gear, and she is very angry. Tori doesn't know who she is, but Amanda immediately makes it clear that she's here to ask Tori to stay away from her daughter. And as Tori figures out who it is, she realizes she's in trouble and asks Amanda, You came to my job? And Amanda says, Well, I tried calling your parents, no call back, big surprise. Amanda's really mad at Tori, kind of reminding her of everything that she's done. And all the ways that Sam has been injured. And she explains that the only reason that Tori isn't behind bars is because Sam asked her not to drag the ordeal out. For Amanda, the tournament can go on. But if Tori touches one hair on Sam's head before then, she says, You'll be scrubbing toilets in prison for the rest of your life. I guess that's Valley Justice. In a sense, yeah, Tori apparently is getting it from all sides as suddenly the soup guy... Excuse me, miss? ...who orders some soup behind her chimes in. I think my soup is ready. I see it on the counter over there. He wants his soup now, but Tori is bringing her usual aggro energy as Amanda gets in her face. Here, just a minute. And then... Not here to cause a scene, just here to deliver a message. As they get in each other's face... What if I didn't? It leads to the manager intervening. Is everything okay here, man? When Tori snaps back at the manager... Can we just the hell up? Tori! And the guy who's ordering his soup. The manager fires Tori on the spot, and she's removing her apron and getting out of there. First of all, Amanda looks like, oh shit, what did I do, right? And then Tori's taking off her apron, throwing it at the manager, and tells the whole restaurant, This place got a B on the health inspection, and I saw one of the cooks dip his balls in the miso. It's a, a pretty tense moment, but Soup Guy knows exactly how to cancel the tension. He delivers a variation on a Harry Met Sally situation, as he basically says, uh, You know what? You can cancel my soup. Yeah, like Estelle Reiner, he won't be having what they're having. Amanda just stands there looking awkward, and it is a real awkward situation. Cut Uh, to West Valley Middle School. Where another awkward situation is in progress. We're getting introduced to some new characters, some middle schoolers. 
We've got Anthony crushing on new girl Leah. We've got Kenny, of course, from the intro. Kenny still has no gym outfit. His gym outfit won't be here until next week. He's wearing a Dungeon Lord t-shirt to school, which is kind of a a great new kid's first day move where it's like, well, I'm really an X-Men, so I'm going to wear my X-Men shirt to school and see if I can fish out anybody else who's into X-Men. A quick shorthand to making friends. It's It's a great idea. It's a great move. It is. I will see if it pays off for Kenny. You know, he makes do with the fact that he already looks different than everybody else because he's not dressed the same. And he instantly has to go up against... Anthony LaRusso, who is trying to guard him, but he gets past, gets a basket in. Anthony's mad about that. Of course, the the tiny junior varsity Scott Farkas comes up and tells him that. Come on, LaRusso, you gotta stop that! So they're passing the ball back and forth. Kenny gets it, spikes it down on accident, hits Anthony in the face. You know, to his credit, Kenny looks mortified, and the tiny bully is back to tell Anthony that he shouldn't take that right he should bust out some of that karate i mean he should bust out some of that karate but anthony it's, doesn't know karate this was my point the whole reason that that kenny can go scotty pippen on anthony and slam a jam right in his face like that myers for pippen oh a faithful scotty pippen in the face of patrick ewing who did not appreciate it is that Kenny has at least a, a modicum of athletic talent, whereas Anthony hasn't done Miyagi-Do, hasn't done any karate, so he has no athletic skill of any type to draw upon. But, I mean, here's the deal, right? If you're in middle school, which which is, I think, crueler than high school, and... <laughs> uh, in some ways, and, for sure. And maybe less physical, but certainly mentally more, as cruel or more so, and you've got bullies like many Farkas here telling you what to do, and you are the son of the karate car dealership guy oh for sure this is the where anthony's lies are going to come back to haunt him because like yeah he's trading on a rep that he does not own he's metaphorically writing checks his butt can't cash but right now he's trying to uh, defer the question of whether he can do karate because as he tells his quote-unquote friend he can't bust out the miyagi dough because they can't those moves cause like permanent brain damage daniel would be very interested to know that we learned that the other kid who is maybe not his friend calls him Lapusso, which Kenny overhears. Kenny goes up to Anthony to apologize, but Anthony's very aggro back at Kenny. A lot of pressure in this situation. Fortunately, new girl Leah comes up to cut the tension. She's positively Elizabeth Shuian in this role. Yeah, she introduces herself to Kenny. Anthony walks off and glowers from behind them. So both of them like the same girl. I'm sure that won't be a recipe for disaster. Yes, I'm sure that's nothing that they won't spend the next, oh, 20 or 30 years arguing about. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Meanwhile, at Miyagi-Do, Daniel's drinking Blue Moon while Johnny paints the house. How many times has this house been painted? See, that's the genius of Miyagi-Do. You can never paint a house too much. Of course, Johnny, being nothing if not practical, points out that you can't just layer the paint on. You have to really use a heat gun. You got to get it down to the base. You got to use an an angle scraper to (laughs) to, kind of strip it before. Before you repaint, but of course that's not the Miyagi-Do way. Yeah, this is hilarious because Johnny's an actual professional handyman, right? Like he's taken some detours since, but that's what he's done for years. Daniel says it's not the point to do it like a handyman would. You're learning how to paint the fence for Miyagi-Do. And Johnny says, you know, Johnny says, screw this, because he doesn't feel like this is going to do him any good at all. He goes for a beer, tells Daniel that defense is boring, offense will always be more badass. Yeah, he takes a sip of Daniel's Blue Moon and bemoans that it has a slight fruit flavoring. Again, I guess if you're just used to banquets all the time, then that's probably true. But man, Blue Moon is about on the lowest scale of flavored beers that I could think of. Like, nobody tell Johnny about microbrews. Burn. <laughs> yeah. So, as Johnny's smarting off about how useless Miyagi-Do is, Daniel demos the Miyagi-Do bottle break. <laughs> and uses his hand to slice the top off of Johnny's bottle. It's a great move. It's a great move. How the hell did you do that? And we first saw it in the Karate Kid Part 1, right? When those guys by the beach were being mean and racist toward Mr. Miyagi, and Mm he breaks their bottles. But also, it's a callback to Daniel cutting the ice blocks in uh, the Karate Kid Part 2. Of course, Johnny's like, how did you do that? Because there's there's some fine tuning to be able to cut. I guess it's different from breaking a block To be able to break the top off a bottle using just a karate chop. That's one of Miyagi's more magical moves that Daniel has picked up, because in the real world, to break that bottle 
top off without moving the bottle, you would have to glue the bottle down. I mean, in the real world, you just knock the bottle out of his hand, which is a party foul at the very least. Daniel's like, Miyagi-Do may seem boring, but don't forget it saved your ass a few weeks ago from Crease. And then he recalls to Johnny that Miyagi-Do saved his ass not only from Crease a few weeks ago, but Mr. Miyagi saved Johnny at the beginning of The Karate Kid Part 2 when Crease is beating up on him in the parking lot. That brings up an important point. Johnny, at the very least, is one of the few people in this show who actually met Mr. Miyagi at any point, right? That's true. So it was saved by Mr. And Miyagi. Was, and had first-hand experience with Mr. Miyagi, however brief it may have been. He did see that Miyagi-Do is indeed badass. And it's really sweet to see Billy Zabka getting to act out Johnny remembering Mr. Miyagi because of how mm-hmm. much credit he gives to Pat Morita for helping him find his feet like in his first acting role on The Karate Kid. For sure. So that's really nice. And Daniel concludes in my favorite line, to Johnny, nobody's more badass than Mr. Miyagi, which we all agree on, right? It's the ontological principle of the Miyagi-verse. It's certainly the thesis statement of this show, for sure. Exactly. Of course, this brings Johnny to have second thoughts, and he goes to pick up the brush, and Daniel settles back into his cane chair and tells Johnny to remember, side to side. That's right. Cut to another group of students who are doing the Miyagi-Do side to side, but unexpectedly, it's in the Cobra Kai dojo. Now, this is truly upsetting because it so is over at Cobra Kai, Robbie is taking the Cobras through his own crash course on Miyagi Do. More you learn Miyagi Do, the tougher you are to defeat. As the scene unfolds, we hear some music that's like a variation on the Miyagi-Do theme, and, and Berenberg has called this the evil Miyagi-Do theme, so they have the sword drum from the Cobra Kai scenes interwoven in with Miyagi-Do elements. As Robbie talks, giving another crease-like lecture. He says there's a reason that Miyagi-Do is difficult to learn. Each block that you learn in Miyagi-Do is precise to overcome a different tactic. Robbie has Tori show him the old wax-on, wax-off, and I gotta say, seeing Cobra Kai do Miyagi-Do, seeing them do the wax-on, wax-off is kind of upsetting. It's kind of like seeing G.I. Joe wearing Cobra uniforms. Lady J? You're a Cobra agent? But I'm not Lady J. You may call me the Baroness. That would be upsetting, for sure. And at this point, Robbie's delivering his prepared speech when Kreese jumps in, pointing out that their entire style is reactive, which means all their moves are counter moves. Yeah, all their tactics are counter moves. That means that we are in control, and we can use that to set traps, he says. Yeah. Uh, remember this for later, gang. This, this might come in to play at a future date. But Robbie's got work to do, so he tells Tori to show him paint the fence. Tori blocks, but then Robbie sweeps the leg. This enrages Tori, and she throws Robbie to the ground. Pins him and looks like she's going to punch when Crease throws water on the situation and tells her to get in the office. Yeah, exactly. Robbie gets to continue the lesson. Tori gets to go to Crease's office. And Crease kind of sits her down and asks her what's wrong, which, again, is another upsetting thing that happens at Cobra Kai today. Crease actually listens and might actually have some useful advice for once. I know. I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> Crease expects it's something to do with Tori's mom, but she tells Crease that she lost her job. And she says it's not so easy looking for another one. Crease asks Tori if she feels sorry for herself. She doesn't say yes, but he says... When something bad happens... This is the advice. You have two choices. You let it tear you down, or you let it build you up. And now we learn a little bit about Crease, right? He says sometimes a step backwards, and he looks over at the picture of him and Ponytail and Twig and Nam, says, opens a path forward. And he looks at Tori and says, what happened? So, is that like Crease talking, or is that Fourline Maria? When the Lord closes a door, somewhere he opens a window. Maria's not an asset to the Good question. We'll have to ponder that for a minute because we got to cut back over to Kenny's place. Kenny is just getting home from school when he gets a call from his dad. Now, his dad's a military dad. It's Major Payne. His dad is essentially Major Payne. He's a military dad. His mom is at the office, and his brother is MIA. He's in the ether somewhere. His dad kind of makes a coded reference to the fact that, you know, Kenny's by himself. He's the man of the house now. Mom's at work all the time. His dad is deployed somewhere, probably Qatar by the map on the back of his office there, but it could be anywhere. He tells Kenny very pointedly that he needs to rise to the occasion. Yeah, I mean, this is a major theme, maybe the most important theme of the whole season, that more is expected of these children than is fair. 
right? And Kenny's dad has a lot more compassion for Kenny than the show's karate dads have for their karate kids, right? And Kenny is thrilled to talk to his dad, so it's clear that this is a loving family, but when his dad brings up school, Kenny's face falls, right? He's still figuring it out. And his dad tells him, if you do things the right way, you'll see results. So it's on Kenny to figure this out. We don't know what the right way is until history is going to repeat itself. Right, In the words of Joe Bean Esposito. Right. But Kenny's home alone, so he heads right up to his room and jumps on Dungeon Lord and... Who else is there but his new friend from school, Leah? She's logged on to the game, and it looks like uh, they're going to have a Dungeon Lord sesh after Leah sends him a friend invite. Well, he hears what I have referred to as the teen love theme from when Miguel and Sam met, right? He remembers Leah and says, yes, he'll play with her. So, this all looks great. It's super cute. Or is it? But you know what else is super cute? Johnny learning Miyagi-Do. We cut to Miyagi-Do where Johnny is waxing on and waxing off on the car next to the banana boat as Daniel tells him the story about Shinpo Sensei. Then we cut to the back in this montage of Johnny learning. He's sanding the floor of one of the decks as Daniel chews on a toothpick like Mr. Miyagi, tells him to use big circles, and shares a lesson from the Karate Kid Part 4. Yeah, Johnny gets the classic Karate Kid montage here. He's just basically doing a bunch of Miyagi-style chores while Daniel reads from the big Mr. Miyagi quote book. Strangely, nothing in there about bonsai trees. Well, maybe Daniel should have started Johnny with the bonsai tree. What do you think? What would Johnny do with the bonsai tree? Bonsai tree. I don't know. Maybe they're saving this for season five. Yeah. <laughs> they, can, they can plan a new one together. So the line that Daniel says is Johnny standing on the floor is from the next Karate Kid. Ambition without knowledge is like a boat on dry land. So if you're on that Easter egg hunt, there's some Karate Kid part four Easter egg for you. That's right. Yeah. So, yeah, Johnny is uh, doing these chores. He's now on the balancing board in the koi pond. It's really cool seeing Johnny do this Miyagi-style kata while balancing on the koi platform playset, just like Daniel on the boat in Karate Kid. He even gets the Bill Conti score for this. Yeah, but then it's the extended version that we hear in the Karate Kid Part 3. And as Johnny is uh, doing all of these kicks... and blocks on the kata, Johnny is going to fall on his ass into the water. And he does, but when he does it, Billy Zabka does it in such a way that it looks very natural. Like, he's performing that stunt. This thing isn't even level. Like, in terms of wet t-shirt acting, this is right up there with Colin Firth and Pride and Prejudice. Miss Bennett. I did not expect to see you, sir. I returned a day early. Uh, Yes. Very well. Thank you, sir. It's a great uh, moment. It's a great stunt. Of course, nobody's perfect. Johnny falls off that platform, much to his annoyance. I love that Johnny regresses back to his high school self in this scene. Yeah, he's like, I don't see myself using any of this in a real fight. Uh, You know, Johnny tries to say that the deck isn't level, and Daniel says maybe he has a little bit of imbalance in him. And (laughs) one of my favorite lines this season, Daniel says, you want to know what Mr. Biagi said the best defense is in karate? To which Johnny says, high outside block against an axe kick. And as Daniel replies, the best defense is no be there. But Johnny is really over Daniel's weird diction. You mean don't be there? And ask Daniel why, that if the man teaches you centuries of his ancient family karate, Daniel doesn't do anything for Mr. Miyagi's English. It's a question everybody's thought, and it's one of the best uh, lines in season four. I gotta say, I think as much fun as it is watching Johnny do Miyagi-Do stuff, Daniel is living his best life right now in getting to basically deliver the full Mr. Miyagi experience to Johnny. Daniel is just eating it up. Just all he has to do is stand around, drink beer, quote everything Mr. Miyagi ever told him, and give Johnny the business when Johnny messes up at a chore. (laughs) It's also weird because Daniel's using, again, the Miyagi diction, but when he gave Robbie lessons and in season two when he was teaching the students... He only gives Johnny the Miyagi diction when he when he quotes Mr. Miyagi exactly. Yeah. I understand why Daniel didn't teach Mr. Miyagi English because Mr. Miyagi was his elder who loved him as a parent and that's his language. That's his English. So Mm -hmm. that's okay. But of course, Johnny would say that to Daniel, right? And Johnny's tone here is, as you said, very much like the high school jerk guy. And it's also the same tone that he had in the pilot episode of the show. And he's like, I never wanted this job anyway. Like he's just a little above it all. Yeah, exactly. But Daniel is done teaching Johnny Miyagi-Do, so now Johnny is ready to teach Daniel real man karate. That's what's going to happen tomorrow. 
Daniel's kind of being a jerk to Johnny, saying that he can't wait to learn the illustrious history and wise teachings of Eagle Fang, right? For Daniel, it's all about this historical precedent that he had a very tiny part of, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas Johnny is an entirely self-made dude with a dojo that's partly based on Cobra Kai, but partly just based on Johnny's personality. Yeah, exactly. He's the Shimpo sensei of his own dojo. Whoa, mind blown. Indeed. Well, until tomorrow, then, Johnny and Daniel. Right now, we got to get over to Kenny's place as the sun sets over the valley. We'll remember that Kenny's dad told him that he's going to have to rise to the occasion. And how does Kenny choose to do that? Well, an all-evening Dungeon Lord sesh with soda and pizza rolls while building a castle with a new love interest, Leah. Now, that's rising to the occasion. Kenny's looking at Leah's Instagram while having a baller time playing with her and you know they're talking about on the chat right they're not voice chatting they're just instant messaging she asks him what he does for fun and he responds that he likes to draw anime check listen to music check and every now and then some dungeon lord cosplay check 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 that's the entire millennial checklist right there he unwisely admits to his first date that he does dungeon lord cosplay this is definitely not something you were going to admit over chat. It's not something you want to admit on a first date. It's not even something you want to admit on a first meeting. But it turns out he actually didn't confess this to Leah because we soon learn that Kenny was getting catfished by Anthony and the other bully kids. As we pan into the computer and pan back out, we see across town back at LaRusso Mance. Presumably. I guess this is the first time we're seeing Anthony's room. Or some corner of the LaRusso Mance that has a lot of computer equipment. Mm-hmm. A game room, maybe, too. Yeah. It's a group of bullies, but Scott Farkas Jr. is running the show, and he tells Anthony to ask Kenny who his favorite character is. Of course, unbeknownst to Kenny, right? Kenny replies, Dr. Scribble Bottoms. Interestingly, Anthony knows exactly who Dr. Scribble Bottoms is. That, that is like the lamest character. He's like this uh, stupid chipmunk with, with, with big ears and a lab coat who like... Uh, Wonder why. Mm. I just, you know, overheard some, some nerds talking about it. We have to presume this is Anthony's room, right? Because he's got like the nice gaming chair and all the accoutrements. What is that shit? <laughs> he's a LaRusso, right? Yeah, exactly. So he's at the pilot's chair in front of his uh, gaming rig. But unfortunately, he's not really because he's at the beck and call of these other preteens. And Farkas Jr., as I said, is like running the show, right? So he also tells Anthony to tell Kenny that Leah and a bunch of other Dungeon Lord, well, he says losers, are meeting up at Balboa Park tomorrow night. Yeah, exactly. Balboa Park. Very clever Cobra Kai. I see what you did there. Anthony's hesitant, but uh, the kid tells him to just do it, and Anthony doesn't want to be called Lapusso again, so he would? he does the thing. And Kenny is super excited that a friend is asking him to hang out. This is too good to be true, literally. Anthony doesn't look thrilled about having to do this, to be honest. Like, Yeah, to Anthony's credit, he hasn't looked very thrilled at having to be this kid's primary bully in any of these scenes. No. But speaking of hanging out with people that you definitely don't want to hang out with, we cut across town the next morning to the grocery store where Amanda is trying to find a particular cheese. Indeed. Amanda is looking for the Claramilk Raw Gouda from Holland, which in our universe is only available at Whole Foods. Yeah, exactly. And that might make me say that she's in a Whole Foods in the show, but behind her you can see things that are clearly not Whole Foods on the set so we'll call the store unwhole foods for, exactly for our purposes here exactly uh, amanda is looking for the gouda when crease rolls up uh looking for honey crisps well it's honey crisp season this store is the best produce in the valley amanda brings up the thing that's on everybody's mind hey what about that restraining order you got yeah crease appears when amanda drops a cheese wheel in accident and rolls toward him so he picks it up and announces that he's here because it's honey crisp apple season and shout out to everyone in the fandom who lost their mind when hayden schlossberg tweeted about that all those months ago incidentally i looked this up because of all the speculation about honey crisp apples and what that tweet could mean there actually is an apple season in california that is different from apple season in the tri-state area because i as a person who's lived in new york state was very confused but indeed in california you can get honey crisps at other times of the year 
Well, I'll be damned. You know, California, you contain multitudes. You got kids in chicken suits at prom. You got kids who who drive without licenses and yeah. You're the home of golf and stuff, the happiest place on earth. It's true. Big ups to California. So what does Amanda do? She reminds him of the restraining order and Chris says that he can do whatever he wants. Technically, she's the one who's in violation. But Amanda is already moving past that, telling Kreese that she knows about the stupid bet that he made with Daniel and Johnny, and she's going to make sure that he loses. But Kreese isn't interested in that. He wants to know why Amanda is harassing his students, referring to her going to see Tori at her old job. Yeah, Kreese is here to go to bat for Tori, which is loyalty is at the very least. Unfortunately, Kreese mentions Tori does not have a mother. Amanda is like, She broke into my house, attacked my daughter. And Kreese is... I respect you defending your daughter. Then he explains that Tori's mother is too sick to provide for her. All of that responsibility falls to Tori. So Amanda replies, I didn't know that. And Chris says, well, now you know, you might want to leave the girl alone or face the consequences. And knowing is half the battle. Pork chop sandwiches! G.I. Joe! Indeed. While Amanda is chewing on that information, the unwhole foods worker comes up telling her that he's located the cheese in question. It must be your lucky day. Perhaps it is. This gives Crease a perfect end to say that not all kids are as lucky as Amanda's because I can tell you personally that Clara Melgata is pretty expensive. And he chews on that Honeycrisp apple, looks back at her and says, Sweet. Which is a hilarious view of Marty Cove. As Amanda is pensive, we'll give her a minute to think about what just happened. I want to tell you guys about this cheese. It is friggin' delicious. Yeah, it's a good cheese. It is. It's only available at Whole Foods. Or in the Valley, it's unwhole foods. And it really tastes like something you would love to eat on a mac and cheese. It is quite strong. What is your review of it, Colin? You just ate some. Uh, it's pretty powerful, but it goes nice with something super sweet or super savory, like a honey crisp apple. Indeed. You could definitely pair those two That's together. Sweet. Yeah, sweet. Sweet. Oh. Sweet. Indeed. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it, and it's also, even though it's raw gouda, we say gouda, they say gouda. Even though it's all raw gouda, like, it's it's very new. It was developed mm-hmm. for the import market. This is important research that all of you should know. Now, getting back to the show. Well, I'm savoring that cheese the same way I'm savoring this frame. You had me freeze frame the episode, and we're at 1332 in the timeline, and... Damn, Amanda is shooting Crease a glare here. God help you if you're downrange of this look, man. Props to Courtly Hangler. She's Sam LaRusso's mom. She's not taking any of this. Yeah, Amanda don't take no shit. But she's also got something to think about, right? Because she doesn't want Tori to be hurt. Meanwhile, over at Reseda Flats, Daniel is knocking on Johnny's door. Daniel is not taking the situation seriously at all. But the door opens and we see Johnny standing in his headband and eagle fang shirt asking Daniel if he's sure he's ready. Cut to an abandoned warehouse where Johnny rips an eagle fang headband off Daniel's eyes. And this is hilarious because it looks like the con swag that we got for Cobra Kai and Miyagi-Do. But now there's one in eagle fang. I love it. Updated for Johnny's new dojo, of course. We pan out. As Daniel's explaining to Johnny that psychos and horror movies act this way, we pan out to see that they're in this giant warehouse with the words Weber Industrial painted on the wall. And that's a big Easter egg for the original Karate Kid, yeah? Yeah, because the protagonist was originally intended to be called Daniel Weber until Ralph Macchio read for the role. Daniel tells Johnny that this is basically how Saw movies start, but Johnny doesn't care. He's like, would you like to play a game? Daniel gets a quick speech on what eagles do. eagle fang, we do not follow. We attack. Because Johnny has all sorts of ideas about what eagles are like. And then, much in the same way that Johnny got his Karate Kid montage, Daniel's about to get a classic Cobra Kai montage. Yeah, Johnny has choice words about how an eagle differs from Miyagi-Do. He says, here at Eagle Fang, we lead, we grow into what we were meant to be. And Daniel says, and what were we meant to be, Johnny? To which Johnny replies, men. And so we now get a supercut of crazy eagle fang chores. Set to Breaking Out of Hell by Airborne. You know, Johnny's speech begins talking about the ways in which men are basically made pussies, like including light beer and automatic transmissions, conspiring to make men less than they are. And when Daniel talks back as he's shoveling coals, because Johnny has Daniel shoveling coals under the ground, Johnny tells him not to talk back to him, and that's when Johnny gives Daniel his eagle name. That's right, Daniel gets his eagle name in this scene, much like 
Hawk got his name at Cobra Kai, and much the same way Mitch got his nickname of Penis Breath at Eagle Fang. Daniel gets his Eagle Fang name here, which is Newark. Appropriate. Yeah. So Johnny leads Daniel to a chain hanging from the ceiling, and we see Daniel doing push-ups on his knuckles in another crosscut. That guy was 59 years old when this was filmed. I'm far younger, and I cannot do push-ups on my knuckles. I don't know about you. I can do one. <laughs> yeah, but it's over. That's all I need. That's right. We also see Johnny using the same baseball machine that he used with Miguel in season one. Yeah, Daniel's like, is this a blocking exercise? What's going on here? And Johnny, of course, says, no! You think you should be defending? You should be offending! We've also got Daniel walking across hot coals, as Johnny tells him to attack. This is just a lot. Also, we hear Johnny telling Daniel that manliness is next to godliness to find his limit and soar past it. That is what eagles do. Daniel tries to talk back, but Johnny tells him, quiet, which is great to hear Daniel get a quiet from Johnny. Yeah, that's like getting a handshake from Paul Hollywood, basically, at this also, point. Also great is Daniel telling Johnny to put his fangs into those baseballs. And Daniel is so aggressive with the baseballs that he knocks the machine over, and Johnny is genuinely delighted. And then we cut to Ralph walking across some CGI hot coals. Finally, we see Daniel at the top of this chain that Johnny's been having him climb as Johnny cheers him on and he raises his fists in the air. They go into slow motion at the end of the montage as Daniel yells out a triumphant, yeah. Yeah, it's so good they use it as the thumbnail for the episode. Now we have an establishing shot of the valley. As medieval video game music plays, that would be the Dungeon Lord theme. Mm-hmm. We see Kenny in the park, dressed up as Dr. Scribblebottoms, kind of a squirrel in... A lab coat with a Harry Potter lightning bolt across the chest. This is the aforementioned Balboa Park. So Anthony and the Lonely Boys catch Kenny in the park after dark doing cosplay. Indeed. Yeah, the tiny bully is leading them all again. Anthony is filming Kenny as they confront him, getting the footage to show the school and everyone that Kenny dresses up as Dr. Scribblebottoms. And then Kenny inadvertently breaks Anthony's phone because he's trying to stop him from filming. I think we've all been there. Indeed. Anthony looks a little hesitant, but the other kids proceed in bullying. And as Anthony looks on conflicted, they drop him, tell him to pick him up. And now the tiny bully, a.k.a. Scott Farkas Jr., is going to tell Anthony to wail on Kenny. All right, LaRusso, let's see your moves. Yeah, bust off some of that Miyagi shit. I, uh... Come on, LaPusso. Again, Anthony is not wanting to do that. Don't call me that. Then hit him. They're ratcheting it up. Kenny looks genuinely terrified because as far as Kenny knows, Anthony actually knows karate, right? So Anthony puts up his fist and Kenny, because he's quite swift, breaks away from the others and runs away. Cut to a very familiar shot as he breaks free and leads them through the park on a chase very reminiscent of the skeleton Halloween chase from Karate Kid 1. Yeah, this misty park with the chain link fence, the angle is almost exactly the same. Kenny manages to jump the fence much like Daniel back in the day very quickly. The bullies are baffled at the locked gate so they find a hole a little ways down and by the time they get through they can't seem to find Kenny anymore. Pan over to a closed dumpster where we cut to a terrified Kenny in the dumpster next to a Miyagi Turbo bicycle. Yeah, that bike is no coincidence. Miyagi Turbo is of course the name that Daniel gave to the bicycle that he had that Mr. Miyagi fixed up for him after he was bullied. Daniel was already thinking of Mr. Miyagi in reference to that bicycle even before he learned how to pronounce Mr. Miyagi's name. And this is genuinely heartbreaking, right? We see this poor kid terrified, shivering in this dumpster. And this is when we realize the show is giving us a thought experiment with Daniel LaRusso, right? Kenny is is having a one-to-one experience like Daniel had when he first arrived in the valley. Well, hopefully things will get better for Kenny, but we won't know about that for now because we got to get over to the valley hockey rink. Yeah, who knew there was so much hockey in the valley? We see Daniel and Johnny looking out at the rink, and Daniel asks Johnny what they're doing here, even though we all know Ralph Macchio is the giant hockey fan in real life, right? Daniel's questioning the educational value of the lesson, and Johnny's point is sometimes to be an eagle fang, you just gotta hang back, watch dudes beat the hell out of each other, and crush some beers. Johnny admits to Daniel that he is tougher than a prima donna. 
I don't know, Johnny, have you ever seen a prima donna do a triple spin into a grand adage? <laughs> it's worth pointing out that we've got two hockey teams with very interesting names. One, which is the Tahunga Terrors, and the other is the Puck Hogs, which mm. you, Colin became obsessed with this, and we spent a long time enhancing the image of the, the Puck Hogs jerseys because we thought they might be a reference to the Freddie Fernandez making bacon t-shirt from the Karate Kid Part 1. How can it not be? I tweeted an ask and Joe Purley came in uh, and said that this was a reference the Puck Hogs to his own hockey team in Mar Vista. Uh, but the logo is different from the real team, so it may or may not have been inspired by the making bacon shirt. I, I think it's a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. I Indeed. think it's exactly what you said. It's like it's named after Joe Purley's team, but I'm sure when they saw that in the script, they were like, ah, the making bacon shirt would weirdly make a good hockey uniform, I guess. We never really get a clear view of the uniform jersey or the team logo, so give us a clear shot of that hockey jersey. Or, better yet, Get it up on the uh, Cobra Kai store so that everybody can get their Puck Hogs hockey jerseys. Who knew that a karate-themed show could create such demand for hockey jerseys? Look, as Yogurt said, it's all about merchandising, baby. Spaceballs the t-shirt. Spaceballs the coloring book. Spaceballs the lunchbox. Where the real money from the movie is made. So... Johnny is explaining to Daniel that the only rule here is intimidation. This is a lesson about striking first. And then just at that moment, two guys smush up against the glass and Daniel sees it and says, that's spearing. It's a double minor. Of course, Daniel knows because Ralph Macchio knows all the fouls in hockey. Johnny yells out the call that Daniel said, gets the guy in trouble for spearing. And as Johnny says, oh, he looks pissed, right? Johnny did all this on purpose. And so as the guy gets sent off to the side, he says, what the hell? And Johnny says that actually it was Daniel's call. And the guy is angry. And Daniel says, I know what you're trying to do, all right? I'm not going to get in a fight with that guy. But it's not going to work. And of course, Johnny just keeps heightening. He says you're a pussy and he could kick your ass any day of the week. Daniel says he needs to apologize for his friend here because he's a little unstable. We're working through it. Daniel explains to Johnny that that's called de-escalation. Well, good luck with that, Daniel. Johnny smiles into his beer in this little way that he always does when he's scheming. As they walk out of the rink, Daniel tells Johnny he actually had fun. Of course you did, because you're Ralph Macchio and you love hockey. Johnny says, so you respect my karate now? And Daniel says, well, now I know what's going on in that head of yours. So Daniel refuses to acknowledge that Johnny might know what he's doing. And at that moment, several of the Tahunga Terrors come up and they're talking smack with Daniel. So the hockey team catches Daniel coming out of the game. Uh, the guy says he can kick his ass any day of the week. Daniel tries to explain that that was what Johnny said, but Johnny is nowhere to be found. To which the main guy says, looks like your lover boy bailed on you. Johnny bails, and Daniel has to defend uh, like five dudes against his one. But uh, Daniel makes the penalty kill by going completely ham on this player named Ham. Is he really named Ham? Yes. Wow. So he goes ham on ham. <laughs> he does go ham on ham, much like Johnny with that package of lunch meat. Sweet. One of the players appears to recognize Daniel and mentions that he's got a smoking hot babe running the place, and they all chime in on what they'd like to do on a test ride, so Daniel goes to town on them. This is the first scene they shot with the new stunt team, and it is absolutely on fire. Yeah. And incredible to see Ralph Macchio, a hockey fan, wailing on dudes with a hockey stick like a bow staff. So it's like a... Oh, you mean, uh, you mean the favorite weapon of Donatello? Hold the bow. What uh, Donatello used to use? This is my favorite turtle. I like turtles. Indeed. So he's like souped up, going for it. We get kind of a synthesis of Daniel's fighting styles that we've seen to date. But this is the first time we've gotten to see him drop grown men. And he's really breaking out of hell here. As the last guy, as Ham goes full on it with Daniel and smushes him up against a window, it looks kind of like the sweep the leg Johnny by No More Kings. At any rate, Daniel's done with him too, twists back his arm and drops him to the ground. And then, of course, he holds his hands up at the end. Just like Mr. Miyagi did originally when he fought off the skeleton dressed cobras and Daniel in season two of Cobra Kai when he defended Robbie. So Daniel can't believe that Johnny was gone as Johnny walks up happily eating a pretzel. Daniel says, where the hell were you? And Johnny's reply? No be there. Cut to LaRusso Auto, where Amanda is indeed running the place. PolitiFact equals true. <laughs> Uh, Anush and Amanda are doing a little bit of housekeeping. Hi, Anush. Good to see you this season. Uh, they're saying keep Louie away from the Doyona reps. Uh, Putting cannoli under a giant net. Yeah, Anush says he'll put some cannoli under a net. Yeah, keep Louie away from the Doyona reps, especially Yuna, a.k.a. Bell Girl from Karate Kid 2. I should hope so, Daniel-san. I'm about to save your business. 
Tori comes in with a giant bag on one shoulder and a giant chip on the other. <laughs> Tori throws a bag of groceries at Amanda's feet. So apparently, after that trip to Unwhole Foods, Amanda tried to take her some groceries, which is pretty condescending, right? It's trying to help, but also trying to kind of assuage guilt. Anoush comes up, tries to play the Gandhi card, explaining that no one can harm him without his consent. But Tori says that she'll just snap him like a pencil, so that doesn't work off very well. Why do I step into these karate situations? Uh, Amanda just says she wants it to be over. Tori says it'll all be over when she humiliates Sam at the All Valley, and then she shoves the groceries down. Of course, Amanda is regretful and saying, what did she do? While Anoush says, what should I do? Should I call the cops? Amanda says, no, and not a word of this to Daniel. Ooh, secrets in the valley. Secrets in the valley. Back at West Valley Middle School, we see a miserable Kenny walking the halls, ironically under signs that say, be a role model and be respectful. But all the students are pointing at him and laughing because there is a video of him dressed as Dr. Scribblebottoms on the internet. Getting posted cosplaying Dr. Scribblebottoms on the internet would be pretty embarrassing. Well, would it? I don't know. Check our Instagram and find out. People are snickering at him, and his voiceover relates his struggles. He says, it's never going to stop. He doesn't feel safe. We see him in the bus with the tiny Scott Farkas Jr. throwing the carton of milk on his head. We cut to him talking, and he says one of those kids even knows karate. Yeah, see, this is where things get interesting, because I thought he was just narrating to the viewer about his woes, but actually, we pan out, and we see that he's complaining to Sean Robbie's cellmate in Juvie from season three. So that's Kenny's absent big brother, and that's why his mom is so stressed out. Absent no longer. We know just where to find Sean, because he's going to be where he has been and where he probably will be for a while, which is in juvenile detention. Perhaps surprising Kenny, Sean laughs in response at the word karate, because as he says, I have just the guy for you to see. Don't worry about it. I gotcha. Yeah, Sean's face kind of beams for a second. It is nice to have a situation where the problem and the solution are just kind of dropped in your lap like that. And it's like, oh yeah, karate? Oh, I got this. I I happen to have a guy in karate. (laughs) Indeed he does. But now we know that while Kenny started out like Daniel LaRusso, he's going to go a completely different path because the person that Sean knows is none other than Robbie, his former fellow inmate. Exactly. And we get the lost suspense violins there at the end just to drive home how precipitous this is. Yeah, and in snake. And with that, we conclude our recap with Cobra Kai Season 4, Episode 2. First Learn Stand. Of course, that is a reference to Mr. Miyagi. We didn't say that sooner, Mm -hmm. but first learn stand, then learn fly. Yes, well, we'll get to the learning fly next episode. But for now, I turn to you, Jenny, and ask, what did you think of this episode? Man, what a delightful episode. First of all, Daniel and Johnny training each other in their styles of karate is something that I think every fan has been wanting to see. And it feels like ridiculous wish fulfillment, but they pull it off in such a great way that the word fan service would do it a disservice. It's delightful. One of the the most remarkable thing about this episode to me is Kenny. He's a revelation. He is a fully formed character, instantly recognizable, way more charming than Daniel LaRusso was when he arrived on the scene. My in the word. 80s. Well, he is. Well, let's I think put, standards have changed as well. Let's put it this way. Daniel was much less cheery about the move than Kenny is at the beginning, right? Yes. Kenny's making the best of the situation. Daniel does too. Daniel's got plenty of charm, but Kenny is just on fire. And he is wonderful and to see his soul crush and and to see anthony a part of it unsurprising it's funny because when we originally when we originally were talking about this new season i predicted that anthony would be bullied and he is kenny's bully but really he too is afraid of the bullies right you know everyone is bullies all the way down it's an economy of fear at any rate that dynamic between kenny leah and the bullies opens up a lot of space in the show a show that previously felt really crowded and there was a whole lot of plot set up and moving pieces around and now i feel like this season because daniel and johnny are on the same side for some of it we see we have a lot more space to explore the world and to create new situations that we learn from and i just think it's a wonderful episode filled with easter eggs that are both in world and we get to that in a minute but like things that also gesture at the actors themselves in a very loving way and all that together is highly entertaining and has a big heart so i'm here for it what about you i agree i think that the show does a really good job of 
delivering Easter eggs and delivering fan service in such a way that it still feels organic and earned. Like, we didn't just jump right to, you know, Johnny learning Miyagi-Do in season one. It's only satisfying because we spent this entire journey to get to this point where Daniel and Johnny would basically trade trade secrets, right? And right. do this fun little exchange. And it really makes the episode, it really is kind of like the centerpiece of the episode that everything else kind of revolves around, which is nice. The other thing the episode revolves around is introducing Kenny. It's very smart where you take the newest element of the show and contrast it against the two most core legacy characters, right? It's hard to say. Like, there's story one and story two going here, and Kenny is story one, and Daniel and Johnny is story two, and then kind of... The B-plot is Amanda and Crease and Tori. And then B-plot is Amanda, Crease and Tori. And so, yeah, it's really smart to introduce this very new element alongside these two core elements of the show to kind of keep everything tight and balanced. But... To Kenny and Anthony's story and Leah's story, it looks like it might turn into. It, it is very interesting to see this dynamic played out because one of Cobra Kai's calling cards is playing with these dynamics of like, the bully may come from an unexpected place. The hero may come from an unexpected place. A hero can turn into a bully. A bully can do a face turn at any moment. We've seen all these different permutations, and I think we'll continue to see these different permutations. And I think as long as they keep introducing these new fresh twists, it will fuel the engine of this show for some time to come. And I I think with Daniel and Johnny, one of the most charming things about this is they wouldn't be teaching each other trade secrets if they didn't already have respect and trust for each other on a level that they can't yet articulate because they're busy being childish and and kind of embroiled in their own machismos. But they clearly trust each other. One challenge that they're going to struggle with over this season is acknowledging that they do and, and finding a language for that that is shared and that they can share their power as opposed to simply acknowledging that the other one has it, right? But to see them both kind of getting into it, and, and Johnny, you know, though he's reluctant, he's doing Miyagi-Do, like he commits to it. The minute that Daniel tells him, Mr. Miyagi saved your ass too, Johnny goes all in with it and only sasses back about all of the teachings when he falls off the platform and is kind of embarrassed, right? So he's into it. And Daniel, he's feeling it when he's going full Eagle Fang with Johnny. So even though they're both kind of being smart Alex about each other's karate at the end, it's hard to hear Daniel do it to Johnny because Johnny's sort of a self-made man at this point. But they're both doing it. To Johnny's credit, and I think the thing that he's unable to articulate himself is that, yes... Daniel is basically riding on this ancient tradition of hundreds of years of Miyagi-Do karate. But hey, give Johnny some credit, too. Like, he created his whole dojo, whole cloth, right? Yeah. He he is the Shimpo sensei of Eagle Fang karate. Exactly. So, have some GD respect, Daniel. Indeed. (laughs) Indeed. Yeah, it's, it's a whole deal. In this episode, we see the characters exploring what it means to work together. And for that, the, the characters that need the most work on that are Johnny and Daniel. And, and we don't see the rest of the young cast except for Robbie and Tori, mm-hmm. right? The Miyagi-Dos and Eagle Fangs are elsewhere, so we don't see Miguel or Sam or Hawk or Dimitri or any of them. Yeah. But, but that's okay because we're so established in where they're at. And we know that those kids, as I said, in my hope for this season, that they would be on the same page. They stay on the same page. We're tired of seeing the kids fight. We need to see Johnny and Daniel take it to the next level. And they do. We need to see them take it on the run. Yeah. Professionally. Professionally, indeed. Those are all very salient points. In terms of favorite moments, I was wondering, like, do you have a particularly favorite moment in the show? Oh, easy. It's got to be johnny doing miyagi-do that's a big not daniel doing eagle fang daniel doing eagle fang is fun but there's something very nice and wholesome about johnny doing miyagi-do yeah that i kind of dig on like a lot it's kind of the opposite of the bad vibes you get when you see people in Cobra Kai geese at the Cobra Kai dojo doing Miyagi-Do style moves. Yeah, that's a good point. It's just like, this is unsettling, right? 
But seeing Johnny doing Miyagi-Do, you're like, oh, Johnny, you're going to get it. It's going to be great. Johnny is still badass, right? But his need to be seen as badass falls away as he commits in those moments to doing Miyagi-Do. Well, I mean, commitment is a badass move in and of its own. It is. And also, we can see that Johnny is pure in his appreciation for Daniel's progress as an Eagle Fang. That's really great. In terms of how the show is moving us along, I mean, this is not a favorite moment, but the moment that is most striking, it's sort of like the pill hidden in the chocolate coating, is Robbie teaching the Cobra Kai's Mm -hmm. Miyagi-Do, because that is, it's sandwiched in between two very compelling stories, and also Amanda, which is equally compelling. But as Robbie does that, we see what it's going to be like. We see that they're setting up this plan to start setting traps for the Miyagi-Dos. We don't yet know what form that will take. But that is sort of a, a subtle but very important scene for letting us understand how Robbie's truly committing to this path. Yeah. And the fact that he and Tori are the only two main members of the young cast that we see shows that their journeys are going to be really important this season. So do you have any Easter eggs? <laughs> There's so many Easter eggs. On the Easter egg hunt. The the fact that aspects of the hockey scenes resemble the No More Kings video that Billy Zabka directed with Sweep the Leg Johnny, the song, that's cool. And the fact that they are going to see hockey, I think a love letter to Ralph Macchio is also great. But in terms of like in Miyagi-verse, Easter eggs. There were quite a few in this episode. There were quite a few in this episode. I was very amused by Daniel whistling the Hare Krishna music. My heart sang the first time we watched it. I yelled, Weber Industrial. Oh my God, it's Daniel Weber. So I think I'm going to go with that, although there are so many. What about you? I got to say hockey jerseys, easy. (laughs) So yeah, definitely follow us on Twitter and get a good look at that because I can't think that it's not a reference to the Macon Bacon shirt. Like when I saw the jerseys, I was like, that's weird colors for a hockey jersey. And then I saw the kind of the shape of the logo when they get slammed up on the glass. And I was like, wait, is that a reference to the Macon Bacon shirt? That's so weird. Yeah. But so fun. (laughs) Do you have an MVP for this episode? Of course. I was thinking about giving it to Kenny, but I think Kenny's still got some opportunities to grab MVP this season. I mean, look, no shade on Kenny. Kenny comes out of the gate strong as a new character. Like, they do a great job of setting him up. The writing serves him well. He's got a lot of charisma. He's clearly got a lot of talent. He's going to make a great addition to the cast. But I think for today, I'm going to have to give it to the original character, which is Johnny. Again, Johnny just absolutely crushing it today. Not only does Johnny, as you said, sincerely and makes a great good faith effort to learn Miyagi-Do, even though he did bitch about it a lot, he did do the moves and he did do them very confidently. He did all the chores the way Daniel told him to. He wasn't busting out the sander or anything like that. And then, of course, then Johnny integrates those lessons and... No be there. Yeah, (laughs) later in the episode. So not only does he take Daniel to school, but he then shows Daniel that he integrated Miyagi-Do probably a little bit better than Daniel integrated Eagle Fang. Although, taking on five hockey dudes in their pads and winning is pretty Eagle Fang, I gotta say. It's true. But yeah, I'm gonna have to give it to Johnny. For Daniel to make a good faith effort, that's something that he does as a show all the time, but for Johnny to do it is definitely an effort on his part, and it's an effort that I appreciate. I respect your choice. I stay with Kenny. So Kenny gets an MVP today anyway, so that's good. Exactly. I mean, Johnny's performance is, is beautiful, and he and Daniel together make a beautiful pairing in this as they both commit and go all in and learn about themselves. But because we've never seen Kenny before, and because within 30 seconds of seeing him, I was rooting for him, and then I almost cried to see him in the dumpster. I have never seen this guy before. But in both cases, right, this actor, this young actor has done it, and Kenny has pulled off the thought experiment of what happened if Daniel LaRusso met Crease first. Playing with these little permutations of, like, how things go in the Karate Kid universe, this in itself is kind of a weird 
little Easter egg, right? They're showing us the alternate universes and the possibilities without having to actually, like, open a Doctor Strange portal and go to the alternate universe. That's good storytelling. We get to see these possibilities anyway, right? Yeah. Dallas Dupree Young as Kenny is great. Once again, killing it, coming out strong right out of the gate. And again, no spoilers for the rest of the season, but he does put in a lot of quality performance this season, and I'm looking forward to all of it. It shows the, the plot advancing in terms of Johnny and Daniel learning each other's styles, figuring out how, at least provisionally, how they can be senseis with the information they have. But also, it shows how robust the Miyagi-verse is, the Cobra Kai riding, all of these things, because we see new characters, new dynamics, and it doesn't feel like they're pushing anything out. When Aisha was written out of the show, when she quote-unquote moved away, there was discussion. People were like, well, we don't have enough time to tell all these stories. But with Kenny, they've struck upon a dynamic with existing characters and new characters that allows them to explore other aspects of the Miyagi-verse without taking away from the existing dynamics. So they're really good on them and only possible because of strong character work. Absolutely. Also, there's a practical concern here as well, because, again, as compelling as the young cast are, they're only going to be eligible for an under-18 karate tournament for maybe another year at the most. So, as these older characters are getting cycled through, we're going to have to have some new blood come in to compete in the big karate tournament at the end of the seasons. So I have a feeling if Cobra Kai makes it to season seven, eight, or nine, we might see a young Anthony and a Kenny and maybe even Leah on the mat at some point. I would be into it. Mm-hmm. I think that covers all the main topics and all the recap and analysis that we could possibly do for this episode. As I mentioned, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or wherever you can find us on social media. We're at Karate Kid Pod on Twitter. Rate, like, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcaster of choice. We've had fine drink, fine cheese, and sweet apples. Sweet. Wow. You know, it's interesting, Colin, you didn't have a line this episode like you did last episode. I didn't have a line about what? Like a favorite line of dialogue. There has been well, no I thanks, didn't... Cheyenne, for the tofu. Uh, well, one, there's no, never going to be a line that that's, that's as good as that. No, Two, true. that's not a regular feature of favorite line. <laughs> no, Like, but... we already do. I feel like that would go into favorite <laughs> moments. Look, if there's a line that beats thanks, Cheyenne, for the tofu, you will be the first to know. I think no be there. When Johnny says no be there, comes pretty close. There are a lot of great Johnny deliveries in this episode, for sure. So, yeah, a lot of great Johnny deliveries. Fair. Yep, I'll leave it there. I think that will do it for today's episode. We will see you next time with Cobra Kai Season 4, Episode 2. Then Learn Fly. Then Learn Fly. Until then, I'm Colin Canaday. I am Jenny Carlson. And we'll see you around the Miyagi-verse. See you around the Miyagi-verse. Are You Karate Kidding Me is hosted by Colin Candidate and Jenny Carlson. Intro music is by Chepo. Cobra Kai music is by Leo Bierenberg and Zach Robinson. Karate Kid music is by Bill Conti. Rate our show on Apple Podcasts or your podcatcher of choice to help grow our listenership. Email us at karatekidpod at gmail.com with questions and comments. Or find us on social media. Use the Twitter handle at karatekidpod. This podcast is independently produced by Geckering Media.